As I mentioned, this is the third Sunday of Advent, and today is joy. If you were to Google the four names, you would see that I have reordered them except for today. The third Sunday is joy, but peace would have already been done, but we're going to do peace next week. And I have a reason for that. You'll just have to get there when we get there. But until then, we're going to look at this understanding of joy of the expected one. And you might say, well, the text, if any of you have actually looked at this text this week, um, um, you know that this is a text you'd say, well, why in the world would you choose this text for the joy of Christmas? Well... See me afterwards, and you can tell me if I got there. If I didn't, that's okay. Maybe not, but hopefully we get there. Um, Life is something that we desire peace and joy, right? It's it's the American dream. We, We look at our southern border, and there's thousands of people that are trying to cross the Rio Grande and this huge wall and all of these Uh, terrible things to try to go through to get across to America for the American dream. A house, a car, a family, a job. This is something that we talk about as the American dream. We seek happiness and joy so often in so many things. But the reality is that we know that things don't necessarily bring joy. They just don't. We know that as believers in Jesus Christ, that turmoil is part of the world in which we live. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, the turmoil started at the fall of man. We see the first murder with Cain and Abel. We know that there is strife in the world. We know that there are struggles. We know that people struggle with having enough money to either pay a house payment or rent and have enough left over for groceries or gas to go to work. We know that sickness is a part of who we are as a culture, that all of us in some way face either sickness or disease And it's a part of where we're at and the forces, these external forces that come into play in each of our lives in different ways. It's things that we have to face. But there's some internal forces that play in our life also. Many face the emptiness of of loss in their life especially as you go through that first loss during the holidays. We have, in some way, most of us experienced that with a loved one. We know people, if maybe we haven't gone through it, we know those who have experienced the loss of a marriage, Maybe infidelity or the passion has, that was once burning has flickered out. 
we, we know that many put all of their chips in on their children. And as the children grow, and as you experience many things with that growth in our children, sometimes heartache, despair, uncertainty becomes a part. There's bumps along the way. The American dream that we may have thought about when it came to our schooling or our marriages, maybe graduating, having that job that we longed for, having the income that we expected. We found that much of that failed in what we would consider joy in our life. Now, that's not to say that many of those things we have experienced in joy. But the thing is, is often we pushed all of our chips in into what the world offers. And we find that the struggles and the things of this world weigh in on us. And we start to question, why? Why do I have to face this? Why am I going through this? Why has this happened to me? And we begin to look at our years past. Did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? Am I being punished for some reason of how I've lived my life? Why the struggle? Well, today we're going to look at John the Baptist again. We talked about him last week a little bit, but I'm going to look at John towards the end of his life. You see, John is in prison, and and John is beginning to wonder about the Christ. He asked this question, are you the expected one or should we look for another? Now there are those that say, and I totally disagree, but there are those that say, oh John was not a doubter. John was just trying to answer for his disciples because his disciples weren't certain. There is nowhere in scripture that tells us that. Nowhere. It is John who comes, calls his disciples to carry this question. And this morning, I want us to think about our joy in Jesus Christ. Have we expected the expected one? Is Jesus to us our joy and our salvation? If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, this is Matthew 11, and I'm going to be reading verses 2 through 11. As I said, it's an interesting passage, but I think by the end of the sermon, you'll see where we're going. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, that's a capital H if you have this particular version I'm reading. Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
And blessed is he who does not take offense to me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us in this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. All of you remember John. You could probably get up here and, and, and talk about John the Baptist. You know the story. John, who leaped in his mom's womb, Elizabeth's womb, when Jesus, the baby in Mary, comes into the presence of Elizabeth. This is John who said, I am not the Christ. I am not the prophet. I am not Elijah. This John is the one who was crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way. Repent and be baptized. This is the one who was the forerunner. This was the one that was proclaimed to be the one. This was the one in the power of Elijah. Preach the gospel. The repentance, judgment of the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom, John preached, is at hand. He is the one that said, I am not, have no worthiness of untying the sandals of the Lamb of God. This is the one when Jesus was coming towards him as he was at the Jordan baptizing. Look, here comes the Lamb of God. This is the one who said, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, you baptize me. This is the one who, as Jesus is being raised out of the water and the, the dove descends and this message, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the John. John who pointed to the Messiah. So how is it, how is it that things changed? Is John a doubter? Is he a doubter? The one who is crying in the wilderness, is that message gone? That message of judgment, that message of repentance? Gone is the days of baptism because John is in prison. John has teed off Herod. He's made him mad. First off, and I won't go into all the details, but 
Herod marries his brother's wife. And John's not happy about it. John's not happy with Herod, period. And, and so he even says, look, you know, you're not the real king. There's going to be a, a, a real king that will come. And, and, and so Herod puts John in prison, throws away the key, basically. And John becomes disappointed. You, you see, when you read this text, and so often we miss this, now, while, now when John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, then he sent the message. You, you see, John is wondering, wait a minute, this is the Messiah, this is the one I baptized. Did I miss something? I mean... John is, is wondering, shouldn't this be the one that just cast out all of that that is going on, this Baal worship, those who uh, aren't worshiping Yahweh? Isn't this the one that we were expecting, the one that would topple the throne, the one that would come and say, hey, brother, my cousin here, I want him out of prison He's in the same boat that many of the other Jews were in. Wondering what's going on. He's heard about what Jesus is doing. He's heard about his works. And he's wondering, did I miss something? Was, was there, am I on the wrong script here? His expectations weren't much different than many of the other Jewish leaders, at least at this point as he is in prison. In fact, I would say there are, are, are four things that are, are in John that is, is working. John has difficult circumstances. He's, he's in prison. Uh, he has an incomplete revelation. He's, he's a little uncertain, even though he was told, he, he knew, he saw. Worldly influences around him had to affect this question. And his own unfulfilled expectations had to play a part. I, I'm the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. I, I'm the, the, the one to proclaim this message and I'm sitting in prison. Jesus was working on a different script. Jesus was going around befriending tax collectors. He, he was eating with sinners. He was keeping company with those that were outside of the Torah, that were, were not living accordingly as many thought they should. Jesus, who had gained a great reputation, but, but not in the way of the expectations of, of those who thought the Messiah was going to come, the ones looking for this king that would take over. So what's going on? 
Was he mistaken? John's confused, to say the least. What sort of Messiah would go to the synagogues and preach the kingdom of God is at hand and go out and heal and touch those who were diseased, those with infirmities? And so John sends his disciples and he asks this question, are you the expected one or are we to wait for another? Are you? John is confronted by the question that we all have to ask. In fact, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? We as believers, we believe that he is the Christ, right? Jesus answers him and he says this. Go and report to John what you hear and see. This is what Jesus is telling John's disciples. You go and tell him what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me, Jesus says. In this, in this great moment, in this great passage, Jesus sends back the truth of the gospel to John. He sends back what the prophets say about the Messiah. He reminds John of who the Messiah would be, the one who would raise the dead, the deaf would hear, the lepers would be cleansed. This is the testimony. This is the testimony that Jesus is returning back to John. And when that message comes back to John, you've got to believe the joy of his salvation in understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the expected one. I believe by this answer, John finds the joy of the expected one. Would John have loved to have gotten out of prison? I would guess so. I would think so. As anyone else, I'm pretty sure he was not thrilled about being there or with the implications of probably losing his life, in which we know he did. But even though we're not told, we do know something. John had to have been sustained in his faith and come to a point of glory and joy and the hope in Jesus. Because you see, Jesus gives this tribute in this passage to John. If, if John the doubter, in asking Jesus the question, was going to be offensive to Jesus, do you think Jesus 
would have given an understanding of who this man was to everyone that was around him. He said to the crowd, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see this man in soft clothing? No, that's not who this man is. This man is the one it was written about. Behold, I send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater and actually names him John the Baptist. Jesus, I believe, would have never given this understanding of this great man, this forerunner that had been proclaimed, the one that would set the path in motion, the journey for Jesus, the one who would baptize him. Did John have doubts sitting in prison? I believe so. But he wanted to clarify that, and he did. Are you the expected one, or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus, it's no wonder that Jesus would say about the Old Testament scriptures, they testify about me. Jesus says these Old Testament passages about the Messiah testify about me. So what in the world, Marty, would you say this text, John in prison, John asking the question about the expected one, what does this have to say, speak to us today? Well, I think that it actually gives us a chance to admit that we have doubt. Now, I'm not talking about doubt of Jesus as your Savior. I'm not talking about doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was the Son of the living God, who was born of the Virgin. That's not the doubt I'm talking about. The the doubt that I, I think that many of us have at points in our life, even as a Christian, is that doubt of, Dang, God, you know, I I really have tried my best. I've helped people. I do devotion every morning, Lord. Why am I facing this? Where are you at, God? When, When I have this disease, or I have this sickness, or I have to face this, or I've lost my job... Or all the things that we could just fill in the blank with doubt. Why isn't Jesus here for me today? Now, I would tell you he is. I would tell you his very presence is there. But in our human state, we question sometimes the very presence. And and, and maybe you don't. But I will tell you, there's times in my life when I have. God, where are you? Why do I have to go through this? Folks, it's okay to be surprised by God. One of the best descriptors or descriptors of the Christian faith is faith-seeking understanding. 
faith-seeking understanding. And so we as believers are constantly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given understanding about God and who God is and how God ministers in our life. And so when we talk about the joy of the expected one for us, we are expecting, we need to expect, that new life that comes from Jesus. We need to expect the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us understand as we seek understanding. God does surprising things. God continues to do unexpected things. We see ministry take place in other places with individuals and other groups. And sometimes we, we wonder... Is God not working here, or is God not working through us? And, and, and we almost, well, God, why are you working over there? Why are you working through him or her? But God does the unexpected things. He works through many. He has faith in the believers who are part of the kingdom of God. To realize that he calls us at times and calls others at times and calls churches, his church at a time, to minister to the other tribes. To minister to those that have need. To pray with those that have need. We are, as believers, to be a part of bringing the unexpected things, the joy of the expected one, to others. You see, the text today, I think, helps suggest to us that Jesus does things that sometimes we don't expect, and we should join him. We should be joining him in praying and ministering to other tribes and people. We should be going along with Jesus as the Holy Spirit calls us to others in need. We should let the light of Christ shine through us as we pray, as we're in mission together. Because you see, the mission of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ, is a work of great mercy. Again, the scripture here reminds us, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And here's where we step in and the poor have the good news brought to them. Those that are poor in spirit, those that are lost, have the good news brought to them. Church, that is how we are ministering together to bring this joy into a lost world. I firmly believe Jesus models profoundly a holistic mission for us. He both proclaims and embodies the good news of the kingdom. And he calls us to that message. He calls us to that work. He calls us for acts of mercy, deeds of power, mission to the lost, to have love and compassion for the least of these. We are to share the joy of the expected one. Jesus is 
who Jesus is and who we expect him to be turns out to be really quite important in our faith journey, in our faith lives. John the Baptist needed an understanding sitting in prison of the Messiah and what the Messiah does and what the Messiah was about. And Jesus sends that message back to him. This mercy of the heart of Jesus. The grace that he offers in those that he calls to himself. This is the implication that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. It is important for us to understand. Because you see what the world will tell us is you're on the wrong script. You, you don't need to be believing that, that stuff. You need, if you want joy, just buy into what the world can give you. And then you'll be happy. That, that message of being humble. The, the, the message of having to submit to Christ. That message of take up your cross and, and follow me that Jesus said, don't, that's a different, don't buy into that script is what the world tells us. And then you'll be happy and then you'll have the joy. But the script that Jesus calls us to is to be ambassadors for him, to be ministers of mercy, to be reconcilers to the gospel. That is the blessing. Because you see, Jesus says, blessed is the one who takes no offense to me, verse 6. And the world wants us to take offense to Jesus, to his gospel, to the scripture. Did you know God's changed his mind about the morals? I, I don't know if you've heard that, but I heard this week, I read an article that God's changed his mind. And that's what the script is that the world wants us to buy into. But God says, no, I'm the expected one. Don't take offense to what I have given you. I have given you my word. I have given you my son. I have brought him back to life so that you can have life in him. And so the, the question goes back to, who do you say that I am? And the answer is what Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Is that our answer? You are the son of the living God. For us, our witness is to this great revelation that God, when we were brought into his presence, into his revelation, into relationship with him we accepted this great revelation that God himself was in the flesh of Jesus the Christ at that moment God empowered us in faith at, at that moment of revelation when we came to salvation we are given the answer of really who Jesus is in fact, we are not only given the identity of the Messiah, but we are given our own identity in him. You see, just like John the Baptist, 
we belong to him. Our witness points to Christ, the Messiah. Our, our witness points to the one who came in a manger. Our witness points to the one who took on flesh. Our witness points to the empty tomb. Our witness points to the truth of the gospel because there is no other. We are Advent people and we are in the midst of waiting for this second coming. And this second coming of the Messiah in our life can happen to me at this very instant or he's going to split the skies wide open. And to me, either one is gain. We are Advent people and we are to live into the mercy the grace, and the truth that God has given us. The great martyr Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. In other words, God knows me, and he knows whose I am, and I am his. We are those who have ceased to exist for ourselves. I want to say that again because you need to hear that. We are those who have ceased to exist for ourselves, but who only lives as Christ lives in us. Who live only as Christ lives in us. With the joy of the expected one in us, we proclaim, I am nothing and he is everything. And we are because he is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Folks, we live in troubled times. And there is a lot going on in our world. And who you believe Jesus to be in your life will affect how you live out not only the joy of your own salvation, but how others see the joy of your salvation in Christ in a lost world. You see, John sent the message, are you the one? And Jesus sent him an answer. Yes, I am. Just look at what I'm doing. And the scriptures attest to the fact. The question we have to ask ourselves and answer for ourselves is who do you say Jesus is? And if you say he is the Christ and Lord over my life, then my challenge to you is to live into the joy of the expected one until he comes for you. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, this unusual passage that some may say, why share that during Advent? But Father, even John had this question and Jesus answered it. Yes, he is the expected one. Yes, he is the one we find where we find our joy. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray that 
you would help us to find, if we've lost, that joy of our salvation in Jesus the Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us to share that joy with others, that, that we would go and just, just tell this Advent and Christmas season about the one born in Bethlehem, the one who came to seek and save the lost, in whom I was one. Father, may our joy just bubble up and bubble over in the fact that we love your Son and that we are nothing without him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.